0: Hi my Harangi Vinyar Church family, Um, thank you for joining me as we take some time to share from God's Word Um, and thank you Lyndon and Angela for entrusting this opportunity to me, the opportunity to share with the church family. Um, I'm going to do a two-part message on the theme of experiencing and expressing the resurrection life of Christ. As believers, we're called to follow Christ in resurrection life and to live in that resurrection hope that we have as believers and to not only experience resurrection life for ourselves, but to be able to express it to the world around us and to people we encounter on a day-to-day basis. And I want to share from Mark chapter 16. I've in revisiting this chapter for probably the last three years, just studying it fairly uh, deeply and reflecting on this chapter and also the, all the post-resurrection accounts of Christ as he met various individuals and groups of people in quite astounding ways as he expressed um, resurrection life post the third day following the cross. And I want to talk about firstly, in this message, how we experience resurrection life through death and disappointment and uh, through events and circumstances that bring about a sudden change to our world, uh, to our expectations, our hopes, our dreams, our aspirations, just as we're experiencing right now worldwide in the context of uh, COVID 19, in the time that I'm sharing this message, uh, we're in the middle of all of that and it has turned worlds upside down. And um, how do we manage all that kind of uh, event in life? So, I want to read the first eight verses of Mark chapter 16. So, if you've got a Bible with you, uh, follow along with me. I'm reading from the NIV and um, let's start in verse 1 through to verse 8 of Mark 16 when the sabbath was over mary magdalene mary the mother of james and salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint jesus body very early on the first day of the week just after sunrise they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb but when they looked up they saw that the stone which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen, he is not here. See the place. Where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the woman went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Wow. Let's just set the scene a little bit. This is three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jane, Salome, who on the third day, the first day of a new week, the resurrection day, they were on their way to the tomb with spices to anoint the body of Jesus. They had watched Christ suffer, they had watched Christ crucified, they had seen his body taken down from the cross, and they had followed Joseph of Arimathea and seen where Jesus' body had been laid and sealed with a large stone in front of the tomb. Because it was the Sabbath day pending, they were not allowed to go and anoint the body of Jesus. And this was a custom in the day because in Jewish culture and ancient cultures in the Middle East, They didn't embalm the body. They buried the body for up to a year to allow for decomposing of the body, and then they would gather the bones and place them in a family ossuary. But during this time, they would anoint the body with spices simply to deal with the smell um, of a decomposing body. And these three women, out of their absolute love and loyalty and devotion for Christ, wanted this final act to be carried out so that they could grieve. And on the way to the tomb at sunrise, it still would have been a little bit dark. They're heading towards where they believe the tomb is from what they saw three days earlier. And they're asking a question amongst themselves, who will roll away the stone? What does that tell us? It tells us that In their grief, in their pain, in their suffering, they had no expectation of an empty tomb. They had no expectation of a risen Christ, had watched him suffer, die and be buried, and now they were going to do their part as a final act of love and devotion to Christ. Why no expectation? Where were the disciples, the 11 remaining disciples? The Gospel of John tells us they were actually locked in a room out of fear that they too would be caught and suffer and be tortured and potentially crucified as followers of Christ. So the men are in hiding, and or kudos to the ladies. They're out in the open heading to the tomb, but with no sense of expectation that there would be any resurrection life. Part of this whole dynamic is because they, along with the 11 men in hiding out of fear, had been raised with a certain expectation of how God would act and how he would usher in his kingdom and what the promised Messiah would be like, how he would act in terms of bringing about God's inbreaking kingdom into the world they lived in as they suffered under oppression and the hopes that they held. And Jesus broke all those expectations. He did not meet the expectation, the narrative, the picture they held of how he should act according to their interpretation of the Tanakh, the Old Testament scriptures and prophecies. And their essential image and picture and expectation was that in the midst of their suffering and a sense of displacement and oppression that the Messiah would come and he would usher in the kingdom of God and bring in the good old days of David. And this would be achieved through military force and might and power and would restore God's kingdom back to a place where things were predictable, they were in control, they were supreme, they were safe, and they had a king over them. And if you read the Gospels carefully, you see all this narrative and picture taking place in the interaction of Christ with the crowds and the disciples right through to the end, to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is betrayed. And Peter, in his disbelief, picks up a sword to go on the attack and the offensive. And Jesus corrects him and says, his kingdom is not like this. It's not a kingdom by force. And so All through the journey, particularly the last week leading up to the cross, Jesus is constantly re-emphasizing the nature of his kingdom and the fact that he will suffer at the hands of the leaders. He will be crucified, he will be put to death, he will be buried, but on the third day he will rise from the dead. This was just absolutely outside any point of reference they had, any paradigm picture they had of how things should be. Resurrection was completely foreign to them. Yes, they had seen Jesus raise Lazarus, but that is not resurrection. Jesus had raised a widow's son on his way to burial, but that's not resurrection. That's resuscitation. Jesus had brought Lazarus back from the dead in the same form of a human body to live, to die again resurrection was completely different. And it's borne out on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus uh, invited three of the disciples, James, John, and Peter, to join him. And they saw a picture of the post-resurrection nature of Christ. And he talked to them again as they're descending the mountain about what was going to happen. And if you read the narratives carefully, they say, what is this resurrection business he's talking about? They filed it away. They had no point of reference for it, for understanding it. And neither did these three ladies as they're heading to the tomb. They're just so overwhelmed that the burial of Jesus to the early disciples represented to them not only the death of the Messiah and the one they loved, who they thought was their ultimate savior, which he was, but not in the way they expected, but all their dreams and hopes and aspirations lay buried in the tomb along with him. How many times, I don't know about you, that I've journeyed through life and I have had expectations of how I think God should act, how I think he should work, and I experienced the death of a dream, the death of a hope, and there's in that a great sense of disappointment. And I too ask myself the question, who will roll away the stone? How do I get through this to the other side to experience resurrection life and hope? And part of us wants to go back and just resuscitate the old ways, where we felt safe, things were predictable, and we felt we're in control. Because when we experience events and circumstances in life that rock our world, that contradict the way we thought God should work, the way we expected things, it can just create the same sense it did for these women, that we have no expectation of encountering resurrection life. But to get to resurrection life, we have to go via the tomb. Sometimes God has to bring to death, as it were, some things in our life that we lay down in order to experience resurrection life. There can be no resurrection without a death. It just doesn't work that way. They entered the tomb, they encountered an open tomb, they entered into the tomb, and the nature of the entrance of a tomb in ancient times, and these can still be seen in Israel today, was that the entrance to the tomb was low, and you had to bow, you had to bend in order to enter into the tomb. And once you entered in, the tomb was large enough inside to then be able to stand. You'll see this even in uh, Peter and John when they ran to the tomb in the various accounts in the Gospels. It talks about how they had to stoop, to bend over, to bow their knee, to get inside the tomb. And without wanting to expand that too much, this becomes a picture to me of how I must enter into resurrection life, to enter into the empty tomb and encounter The amazing resurrection life of Christ. In every area of my life, I have to bend. I have to bow the knee. I have to humble myself and bow and enter in an act of humility in order to rise to see an empty tomb and experience the resurrection life of Christ. When they encounter this angelic experience, And the angel says to them, you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene. That very statement, he's pinning this to an actual person and an actual point in history and time. He's saying, this is no myth. You are not experiencing an imagination. Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified, is not here. He has rest See the place where they laid him. He was affirming to them, you're in the right place and you're in the right time. You're not mistaken. You're not in the wrong tomb. You're not at the wrong place. You've got it right. See the place where they laid him. Sometimes when we go through suffering and pain and disappointment, sometimes we can wonder, am I in the right place? because of what's happening, what we're experiencing. It didn't meet our expectations, the hopes, the dreams we held. And we wonder if we're in the right place. God reassures us, see, this is where they laid him. You are not mistaken. Sometimes in those moments of pain, suffering, disappointment, we're right where God wants us. In order for us to experience his resurrection life. And hope. And then the angel says to them, Go and tell his disciples and Peter. These ladies were given the first opportunity to share the message of the resurrection with the disciples and Peter. Isn't it interesting that God, in his grace and his mercy, singled Peter out, not in an act of condemnation? But as they shared with the disciples and then said, Peter, you've got a special mention. God is affirming Peter in grace and mercy that even in a moment of his greatest sense of failure and self-condemnation and disappointment, when he didn't stay the course, that God was still for him. I love the words of the Scottish uh, preacher and writer, Um, William Barclay, when commenting on this, said this, the most precious thing about Jesus is the way in which he trusts us in the field of our defeat. Even when we feel defeated and disappointed in ourselves, God still trusts us. So much more I'd love to say about that point alone in Peter's journey. But God was not condemning Peter. He was affirming him. Peter, you're not forgotten. You may be disappointed in yourself that you didn't remain faithful. You didn't stay the course. You stumbled, as I predicted you would, but I'm affirming you. And then he says, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Just as he told you. When things occur that are outside our frame of reference, that rock our world, that have an incredible impact physically upon us, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, um, in every way, and derail us in a sense, and create a sense of something's died, and there's a sense of disappointment, we need in that moment something outside of ourselves to anchor us, to stabilize us. To reignite hope. And the two things that we need are the scriptures, the written word of God, and the saviour, the living word of God. We need the promises of God and the presence of God. And in my life and journey, to me, I've always pictured them like two parallel railway tracks. That as long as I have the truth of God's word in my life, the promises of God, and the presence of the person of Jesus Christ. They're like two parallel railway tracks that keep me on track. The moment I lose sight of one or both, I'm derailed. I need both of those parallel, keeping me on track. I need the objective truth of the word of God in my life. And this is what the angel brings them back to. He said, hey, in all your disappointment, pain and suffering, everything is happening just as he told you. But you didn't get it. You didn't interpret it right. And sometimes it's not till we go through the long, dark night of the soul, those moments of pain, that the promises of God and the presence of Christ becomes more clear and we see more clearly as we die to our expectations of how we think God should work, and discover the truth of Isaiah 55, that God's ways are not our ways. They're better, they're higher. Why? Because God alone knows the end from the beginning, as Isaiah 46 teaches us. And Jesus knew the end from the beginning. He had spelt it out for them. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, but I'm going to rise again. This is not the last you'll see of me. I will meet you again in Galilee. And the angel's reminding them, it's just as he told you. When I experience death and disappointment, I have to go through the cross that way in order to experience resurrection life. And I need to come back to that anchor. That things are just as he told me. There's so much more I'd love to convey to you through this. But till next time, I'd like to just simply pray for you. That no matter what season you're in. That you too would know the hope and strength there is. Through the promises of God, just as he told you and through the presence and the person of the risen Christ. Let me pray. Father, thank you for those who have listened. I don't know where everyone is at in their journey. I don't know where you're at. But I pray into your life and your family and your circumstances that you would know the promises, just as he said, sustaining you and giving you hope and clarity, and that you would know the resurrection presence of Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your time.